That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, we are back for another episode of Same Old Song. Um, this is your SOS call um, for preachers uh, who might need a quick word in the middle of the night, and uh, this is for all you other listeners who. Um, um, are looking for a word of comfort as well. You're in the right place. As always, my name is Jacob Smith, and I'm the rector of Calvary St. George's, and I'm here with my friend Aaron Zimmerman, who's the rector of St. Albans. Yeah, Waco, Texas. All right. That's right. And I got to say, um, Jake, you're looking good today. And uh, and I want to say thank you to everybody who's been um, listening. We've gotten some really good feedback lately, and that means a lot to us. We're glad that what we're saying is helpful to you. Uh, if you have negative things to say, we ask you to keep it to yourself. That's right, or we'll reach for our holsters. They're yeah, empty. That's, well, that's what, yeah, that's right, well, th- symbolically. Oh. If, yeah, but if you have something negative to say, that's what Twitter is for, in case, yeah, you, uh, absolutely. In case you don't know. Um, All send, right. If you have something negative to say, send it over to the Mocking, uh, mocking Cast. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're the good... Mockingbird podcast. Uh, that's Just right. kidding. We love anyway. you, Sarah, Dave, and RJ. So, good. Well, today we are in ordinary time. The colors are green uh, for... Um, forever. Forever, basically, because it's ordinary. No, uh, green kind of represents uh, <laughs> kind of life in the spirit and um, uh, growth. And, um, and But what we believe it growth, the Christian growth is, is the um, onward realization that you are justified when you come into the... Cl- dark uh, recesses, come in to counter the dark recesses of your heart. Do you have dark recesses in your heart? Um, a few, and, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, and uh, one person who did have dark recesses in their heart was uh, the prophet Elijah. And uh, mm, that is our reading from First segue. Kings, First Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 15. Yeah, so what uh, you like this passage, Jake, what would you, uh, if you were going to preach on this, and and by the way, we should note for our readers that there is sort of a track one and a track two situation in the lectionary. You've got uh, track one, which kind of goes through some more of the stories of the Old Testament. Track two, typically the passage is a little bit shorter, less narrative-based, more kind of prophetic, uh, poetic yeah. sort of statements. So, it's, but we're going to be going it's, through it's, track one this this summer. Yeah, and it's important to note that if you pick a track, stick in it. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, going uh, under the Lincoln Tunnel. You stay in your lane. And um, <laughs> and uh, so, stick with track one. And one of the reasons why I personally like track one is, is um, uh, very rarely uh, did at one time did you ever get any of actually Israel's history. And uh, the history of the um, like the people of God, and um, and so and track one really offers that walking through First Kings. Last year, it walked through First and Second Samuel, and so you get really a, a breadth and a scope of the history of uh, the people of Israel, which, as a Christian, is your history as well, um, as part of the people of God. And so, 
But uh, in this particular passage, this just really comes on the, um, what I love about it is, is that um, Elijah, basically, he's just had the confrontation with the prophets of Baal, you know, where uh, they like were supposed to call down fire and they couldn't do it. And then Elijah just drops the heat and well, not Elijah, God drops the heat on the altar and uh, and uh, he calls down fire and things are looking amazing. And it opens up our reading today with uh, Jezebel, the great and awful king, sending a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Those are the prophets of Baal. And, uh, um, and uh, that Elijah had killed. And uh, But the point is, is that Elijah freaks out. And really, I think one of the great things about this passage is, is that you see the ebb and flow of the faithful life. Um, there are moments of great faith in your life, and then there are moments of great discouragement. And so, Elijah takes off and he goes into the wilderness where he hides. And he's fed, um, um, an angel feeds him, and it's just this very powerful, though, moment where, I mean, he's being provided for, and everything's happening around him, yet still there's great doubt. You see the seamill used to set Bacator at work here in Elijah. Yeah, and a lot of people actually don't realize Jezebel is a pretty significant blogger, uh, kind of a little-known fact here about the Old Testament. It's interesting, too, that Ahab the king is sort of, uh, you know, he's taken a break from Queequeg and uh, and mm. Moby Dick, and uh, mm-hmm. he's uh, making an appearance here. Uh, anyways, so uh, the thing, <laughs> Jake's shaking his head, as he should, rightly so. Yeah, the, uh, yeah you're right here. So it's important to note, as you said, Elijah has seen God do a miraculous thing the likes of which you and I have never seen. I mean, he's, uh, and from the literal and metaphorical mountaintop, it's where he's been spiritually. And then, and he wasn't afraid of all the prophets of Baal. He made fun of them, um, and he emerged the victor. And then there's one person, Jezebel, threatens him, and he can't take it. And he's he, he runs away. It's a very much it's very much like Peter, who says, "Lord, I will never deny you. I'll always stick by you." And then the second he's tested, he falls flat on his face, yep. which is all of us. And and God's response here, as you point out, is so merciful. Uh, and there's a recognition here. I think there's potentially some spiritual burnout or some ministry burnout here. Mm. He just he, you know physically he's tired, he's mm. hungry, and uh, and God takes care of those needs. Sometimes people feel really bad about their spiritual life and how yeah. they're relating to God or they're not feeling it. But really, they probably just need to go for a walk and have an Egg McMuffet and they'll feel a lot better. And God <laughs> is merciful and gracious to that. That's what I always need. That or filet of fish. I think, uh, and there's another thing, just for a pastoral element here, for those of you who are pastors or uh, rectors of churches and your vestries, you know, um, what you see here too is that one person can make your life a living hell. Um, you know, it, it doesn't take much. And uh, I don't know what you're talking about. And um, um, I don't either. What I, I don't have no idea what I'm talking about. So I've heard. And so because uh, I have an amazing vestry. But um, I've never the, gotten um, a text uh, in the middle of the night. Anyways, go ahead, Jake. Saying, that did so not may, happen this say morning. Say the gods yeah. do to me and also if I do not make your, <laughs> take your life. I mean, I've had yeah. vestry people say that to me before. But uh, but it's true. It's um <laughs> This is, this is, I mean, it, you know, sometimes you can begin to think like, oh, man, what's my problem? Why can't I just get over? And that's, uh, you know, it's true. Like one person can really drag you down. And, um, and so here Elijah goes off into the wilderness. This is a, this is a scene of formation and uh, kind of how God operates, uh, taking him out. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, 
what are you doing here, Elijah? And, you know, and Elijah lays it out like, man, uh, this is hard. And the truth is, is that ministry is really, really hard. And uh, for those of you who are slogging out, oh, God bless you. Um, but, you know, uh, because the world wants to seek and take your life and to take it away. And on one level, it has. And uh, this yeah. is the powerful thing where God sends him out and takes him, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass. I mean, this is reminiscent of Moses. This is reminiscent. This is a very um, powerful, like, kind of Old Testament scene. Yeah, and uh, and again, very mercifully, God does make himself present. He's taking care of somebody who's scared, somebody who's stressed, somebody who is deeply anxious, uh, I don't know. Uh, there, everybody in your congregation can relate to the idea of feeling forsaken, feeling like your life has been futile. Now, people in their 20s maybe don't feel that way yet, but everybody that's been through uh, about 10 years of marriage, uh, five years in a career, everybody who's been um, alive and, and working for a little bit is going to be able to relate to feeling like... Uh, all that they've worked for, all that they've strived. I've been raising my kids. I've been trying to do it right, um, and then, and then it goes off the rails. And this is this is where he is. And again, God very graciously does not rebuke or chastise him. He just says, "Just go stand. I'm. I'll. Sh- I'll show myself." And uh, and reveals his presence again very powerfully. Not in all the big, flashy, amazing things. Not in the earthquake. Not in the wind. But in this sheer silence. What do you make of that, Jake? How do you, how do you receive that? Um, well, uh, that is, um, that is actually, um, how God operates, you know, um, it's oftentimes in the silence. Um, and this Mm. is where faith comes into, into work. When Jesus cried from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, there wasn't an answer. There was silence. And, um, and sometimes in the midst of our ministries, in the midst of maybe you have parishioners who are going through difficult times and they're like, why, God, why? Um, mm. uh, sometimes you don't get an answer. Uh, we don't know why oftentimes, but we do know that Jesus is risen from the dead and uh, is ascended to the right hand of the Father and will come again for you. And uh, what this means is that in the midst of the silence, uh, you... Um, we have faith that God is taking the good, the bad, and the ugly, all of the suffering, and uh, weaving it together for something beautiful. Um, but I, that's how I kind of interpret this, is that, man, you're not, uh, just do your job, go back. And, um, and uh, you know, because sometimes we don't get an answer to uh, why this is happening. Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of people, it's funny, if you're in, if you ever signed an insurance contract or whatever on a house or something, they always say that, you know, acts of God are not covered. Yeah. And an act of God is always like a tornado or a wind or an earthquake, all these things that that show up on this mountain. And God is specifically saying, I'm actually not in any of those things. What I am in is the silence. And I I think there's this wonderful, as you like to say, flip-flop nature of the gospel. The things where we think God is working is often not. And uh, the places where we don't think God is working, that's exactly where God is. Um, Mm. And one of the things I love about uh, worship in the liturgical tradition is that there's not just, it's not the Phil Spector wall of sound worship experience. (laughs) It's, uh, there's silence. There are moments, you know, one of the things after we, you know, after the the clergy up at the altar take communion at St. Albans, the way the next 
row of people to come up and kneel and take communion are the choir members. And so while the choir members are taking communion, they're by definition and the organist, there's not going to be singing and music. And so there's just this dead space, this silence um, where nothing is happening liturgically, nothing is happening musically, nobody is talking, Mm. um, but the sacrament is being given out and God is at work in that space. And that's just as much to me an important part in our worship and our liturgy, those quiet spaces. Because when are things quiet? I mean, anyways, let's just... Uh, there's a lot here. Um, anything else you want to say about it, Jake, before we move on? Well, I think in the silence, uh, that's where you really need uh, to understand Galatians. And so hey. and, uh, the concept of faith, there's the segue. So, um, yeah. So what do you, you do? It so well. Can I just say, just for preachers there, if you want to get ahead of the game a little bit, uh, the in the summer, um, you for the next several weeks, uh, the, the lectionary walks us through Galatians. And this is a wonderful time to do a sermon series maybe on the book of Galatians and take your people through um, the wonderful meaning of faith and uh, flushed out here in Paul's theology. And um, it's just, uh, it's Galatians is such a rich text. I always encourage people to do a sermon series on this. And uh, in the summer, the lectionary allows you to do that. Yep. And this is a wonderful passage. And many people are going to hear this and it's totally going to go over their heads, mm-hmm. Galatians 3, 23 through 29. Uh, because it's Paul talking theologically. It's not a narrative. You know, you've just come from Isaiah, which was this great story, and now you're in Galatians, and Paul is starting out like a seminary lecture. But it's an incredible text, and if you want to preach on it, this is the this is ground zero for talking about what the law does, what the role of the law is. And a lot of churches get this mixed up. They think that the role of the preacher is to preach the law, essentially to tell people what to do, to tell people how to get their life together, to tell people how to be a better Christian, a better mom, a better father, a better grandma, a better person, whatever. And um, and they think that the role of the law in the Christian life is just to tell them what to do. And that's the, what the church is supposed to do. But this is not Paul's perspective. He says that the law was something that was a disciplinarian or a schoolmaster or however you want to, whichever translation you want to use. The law was there to kind of give us some guardrails uh, and to show us um, our sin, uh, but it wasn't supposed to be the final word. It was there to do its work until we um, could be justified by faith. And it says we're now no longer subject to a disciplinarian. So you can talk about this. You can use examples um, about how people have experienced the law in their life. And you can show them through tons of examples how, uh, for them, the law has never worked. Um, I mean, I could, uh, uh, I could, we've all had the experience both on the receiving end of law and giving law where we see it, it all it can do at best is sort of grudging obedience. But, uh, you know, when you tell your child to empty the dishwasher, they don't spring up with joy and say, thank you uh, for giving me this commandment and what else can I do? And the people in your life that you're trying to change, um, uh, they, it hasn't worked. And so uh, the disciplinarian can get it done a little bit, but it doesn't change the heart. And so there's something else that comes in Christ. And so talking about the role of the law uh, is something uh, you can do here and describe that we have a new relationship with God and Christ and all the old things that used to divide us, which are based in the law, Jew or Greek, that's based in the Torah, how you divide those categories, slave or free, those are class and economic distinctions, those no longer have jurisdiction here, male or female, even the thing we think is most key to our identity, that also doesn't uh, matter anymore. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm done lecturing. What do you think, Jake? 
Well, I thought that was all very good. I think um, it's very powerful in the sense that, you know, because you see that um, uh, because I've had people push back when I've talked about that. And they're like, well, what about with Israel, where God says, if you obey these commands, you will live long in the land and prosper and all of this. And, um, you know, on one level, you want to make sure that um, that especially when we're looking at the law, that we're not confusing like the national law with um, with 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 your life and um, and the theocracy of Israel with today. And the truth is, is that people have only ever been justified by faith. Nobody has That's ever right. been justified by the law. Um, and uh, um, the law is actually only given to increase the trespass and to reveal what sinners we are. Um, a very powerful thing, too, when you begin to talk about faith is you want to talk about the notion of what it actually is. And in uh, a lot of circles, faith has become kind of an accepted form of superstition. And, uh, and uh, faith is not an accepted form of superstition. Faith is only as strong as that which is it, it, it's in. You know, faith is, faith is the connecting agent. It is, it is so, like, so when you read this, basically the best way I've ever heard it put was replace faith with it, whatever's going to get you through the night. And so now, before Jesus came, mm-hmm. we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until Jesus would be revealed. And because Jesus is the end of the law, and therefore the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by Jesus. But now that Jesus has come, we're no longer subject to the disciplinarian. I mean, it's a very powerful thing. So just remember, um, when you're preaching this and talking about this and flushing it out for your people, that nobody has ever been justified by the law. Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Um, when it talks about Noah being a righteous man before God, a just man before God. This wasn't because he was following the law. It's because he believed the promises of God. You know, this is that, that God actually was, was his savior. And uh, this is the thing. And, uh, and so if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise, because that's how people have always been justified. Not through yeah, a national right. identity, nothing else, but simply by faith in the saving work of God. Yeah, and the word in in Galatians three twenty four that's translated disciplinarian or as we said schoolmaster or tutor. I mean, it, it's pedagogue. It's mm-hmm. pedagogos. Pedagogos in uh, um, not to be confused with the gogos, Belinda Carlisle and company. But uh, it's uh, yeah, it means a teacher. And again, not a just teacher a teacher, can, a man with the stick. That's what a pedagogos right. was too. These a, were guys a that paddle, would hit you. A paddle. Mm-hmm. So it'll yeah, and the law can get it can enforce obedience but it doesn't change the heart mm-hmm. and um and this is again where a lot of churches kind of miss the boat here and they think that the law is still the role of the preachers to stand up there with a paddle and to use it until people fall in line mm-hmm. i think about i'm thinking about aladdin i haven't seen the new live action version but i remember the old animated one which i thought was great and if you remember jasmine who loved aladdin but uh um, the evil Jafar wanted her to marry him and sort of thought he could sort of just command her to love him. And, of course, she wasn't into that also because he looked super creepy and had an evil voice and a crazy parrot played by Gilbert Gottfried. And who wants that in their life? But um, uh, you can't force uh, somebody to to love you. Um, you can't hurry love, as uh, the Supremes and Phil Collins sang. You can't make it happen. Uh, the law is a disciplinarian. It can enforce obedience, but that's about as far as it will get. And um, 
what we need is a relationship with God where we trust Christ for our righteousness. We are justified by faith um, and are now, as Paul says, we are clothed uh, with Christ. We, it's not our obedience and our righteousness is not because of what we've done or what we do. It's this thing that from outside ourselves. Um, so all the things, we look at a group of people, uh, United Colors of Benetton, whatever, all those things that we think separate us and divide us. Um, that's a, I just realized for some of our younger listeners, they have no idea what Benetton is. And it was a clothing company in the 80s and 90s that had Thanks, Grandpa. <laughs> yeah, with a lot of uh, different, they would show like a, an array of different kinds of people, sort of very wow. um, you know, diverse What else was it folks. like in the olden days? So, oh, we were watching we, <laughs> what we were watching some show last night. We we're watching Seinfeld, and my daughter, who's in high school, said they were, you know, it's the episode in season three where they're trapped in a parking garage and they can't find their car and they all get separated. And George and Jerry are both arrested for public urination, anyways. But <laughs> all my the daughter millennials was like, Wait, have turned us off by now. So, anyway, <laughs> don't, they, don't they have cell phones? Yeah, I was like, no. No, we that don't. So funny. Anyways, all all of the things that we think what I was saying, all the things we think separate us and divide us, those things we're all clothed in Christ. It's like this great blanket of Jesus's righteousness which is laid on us and Amen. and the, and you can rest in that. You no longer have this disciplinarian standing over you with a paddle. And that's not what the church is about anymore. It's about reminding people that they're clothed in Christ and justified by faith as they have always been. Here endeth the sermon. Well, that's good. I love it. And um, and uh, this one, this episode is sponsored by the United Colors of Bennington and <laughs> and, Stein, and Seinfeld. <laughs> and Esprit. Let's put there another 80s uh, clothing yeah, maker. Right. The that's 80s right. and 90s are coming back in a big way. So I'm looking for both Benetton and Esprit to come back. All right. So now we get to Luke 8. We've got a pig, a lot of pigs. we got a crazy guy. Uh, First, I want to say something about uh, like just when you're getting into Luke chapter eight, and um, uh, I've, I've I've heard a few f- few preachers, well-meaning people, uh, kind of try and write this off as some sort of mental illness, and um, and I think that there's a tendency in Bro, the church to kind of look no. for uh, like for one um, like demons under every rock, and then there is a tendency to completely discredit it. And uh, and you 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 want to you want to be cautious of both. But I've always found that people that uh, discredit the supernatural and these demonic encounters is like kind of basically one step to eventually discrediting God, just period. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, and turning the whole thing like demystifying it. But what we need to understand is that this is this is a scary, terrifying scene. And um, everybody who would have been reading this um, for the first time around knew this wasn't mental illness, and you need to know this as well. Uh, this is Jesus encountering the demonic here and demonstrating on a profound level his authority over it. And, um, and that is good news. And um, anyone who doesn't believe in the demonic needs to watch Hereditary. And, uh, and what happens when a secular family actually encounters the demonic? Um, it is a terrifying thing. Or go watch uh, Somer this uh, summer, this, uh, this um, summer. And so about a group of kids, once again, don't believe in the supernatural and they encounter it. And so, and here we have, and so here we have the one who actually can and has conquered the supernatural. And he steps off the boat into the Gerasenes, which is opposite the Galilee, where, um, uh, and there they encounter these, this demoniac. And now we've also learned that Jake likes to watch a lot of horror films. I do. I do. I really, I mean, um, only, I'm not into slasher horror, you know what I mean? Where everybody just gets gutted and killed like, like uh, seven or uh, not seven, but, um, 
what was that with Pinhead and all of that stuff? Like, I'm not into those things. But what I am into... Um, <laughs> but you've clearly watched them. Yeah, just a little bit. But anyway, I'm not... I watch them, but I don't like them. And so... <laughs> Jake never inhaled, people. Yeah, so anyway... Uh, yeah. But this is um, just, this is a terrifying scene, and uh, and what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? So basically, I mean, they go into this place, and this man's living in the tombs, and the point here is they're in the garrison, which is an unclean place, and then they're in the tombs, a graveyard, which would have been unclean for a Jew as well. And yeah, one of the powerful sure. things that's being articulated here is that there is no place Jesus will not go to save you. Mm. Preach it. That's right. And so this man comes out and he's, I mean, he is a mess. Uh, he, he, he hurts himself. He has no clothes. He's, he's just, um, yeah, he is under attack from the outside. And Jesus very, uh, well, there's a couple interesting things. One, the demons know exactly who Jesus is. Mm. Um, whereas a lot of people this time don't get it. Uh, and, um, uh, Jesus asks, what is your name? And it's clear that he's not talking to the man. He's talking to the uh, whatever forces inside of him. And this answer legion, that's something obviously we, we have, that's come into the English language, um, uh, to just mean many. And it was, it, this was, uh, this was a technical term like battalion or platoon or something like that. It meant five to 6,000 Roman soldiers. It was a big, uh, group of armed, uh, Roman soldiers. And so he says, my name is legion. I mean, there's, there's a lot of demons in me and they all beg him not to, not to, throw them back into the abyss, which is interesting that they don't want to go back to their home. But uh, uh, Jesus allows the the demons to go into this herd of swine, a bunch of pigs. They beg Jesus to let them go in there, and he gives them permission, and they they go in there, and then they all run into the, run off the cliff, and they're drowned, uh, and the, the man is set free. And so um, one of the interesting things here is this use of the term legion. Chad Bird has, who's a Former mock, he's spoken at a Mockingbird conference. He's a big friend of our ministry. Um, he has written really powerfully about this. Is sort of Jesus showing the people around him what he thinks of the Roman Empire. Uh, a lot of people wanted Jesus to be a political leader, like a King David, and defeat Goliath, defeat the the Roman Empire. And he never did it. He didn't. He didn't form a militia. He didn't uh, take on Rome. Uh, but he did show them here that legion, meaning the power of the Roman armies and the Roman Empire, that all of that was temporary, was passing away, and he was the ultimate one in charge, the king of kings, even though he didn't look like how they thought he would look, uh, and his power was um, was not of this world. So that you can you can take that angle, you can talk about that. I think that's... Um, that's it's kind of a fresh take. It's really good. I like so that. It is a fresh take, yeah. And, so, um, but the other thing you can talk about, I think, I mean, if you want to connect it personally, I mean, it's that sort of a political, you know, because Christians, we believe that Jesus is the King of Kings, and we don't look to political rulers to save us, and we don't believe that a political system is going to make the world right. I mean, uh, whether it's been Rome, whether it was Egypt, whether it's uh, any political system out there, there's no perfect one, and they're not going to save us. Um, and so Jesus uh, here, I think, what I always want to focus on here is the fact that everybody can identify with the fact of being controlled by something inside you that you want not to be there, and that Jesus has power over those things that attack us from the inside. Um, so I don't know. What, where would you go with this, Jake? I mean, I think that's a that's a great place to go, and uh, I think um, also the idea that um, when Jesus comes in and set things sets things right, 
uh, there's always a reaction. Uh, there's two reactions. One, there's fear, um, because Jesus mm-hmm. does change the status quo, and they were afraid when this man was sitting in his right mind. And so um, the other thing um, is people, because they're afraid, they want Jesus out of here. Um, and, uh, and this is the response for someone who's never had a saving encounter with Christ. Um, uh, they, one, are afraid and they want Jesus gone. Um, but to those of us who have been reached in the tombs of our life and uh, have been saved literally by Jesus, um, because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, um, well, all you want to do is proclaim throughout the city how much Jesus has done for you, uh, just like yeah. this man. And uh, the truth is, is that when saving faith, as Paul talks about in Galatians, uh, enters your life, uh, when you have been in the wilderness like Elijah and uh, Jesus meets you there in the silence and grasps your heart, you won't sit still. Uh, you'll go forward and proclaim it to the very ends of the earth. And, uh, and, I, and so I see this text as a very powerful evangelistic text. And uh, what yeah. happens to you and I, and what has happened to you and I, and dear listener, when um, you've been touched by uh, Jesus and saved by him, um, um, it, it, it will never leave you the same. Yeah, that's right. Well, I think, Jake, that sums it up. I mean, I, I don't think I can, I don't think I can top that. And Of um, course you can't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, well, that concludes this week yeah. preacher battle between yeah. Jake and Aaron. Jake is uh, the clear victor. Join us next week when we have lightsabers. So, but you couldn't Woo. see it. So anyway, um, God bless you all. And for a funny joke, Google SNL's Aladdin from three years ago when they're singing a whole new world. <laughs> it is so good. But God bless you all, and we'll see you next week. Uh, yeah, rate us on iTunes if you haven't already, and uh, send a check to Dave Zoll uh, mm-hmm. and to Mockingbird Ministries if you like what you've heard. We appreciate your yeah. support, your prayers, your love, your emails, all of it, and uh, look forward to uh, walking through the season after Pentecost with all of you. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Somebody's looking, somebody cares, somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you liked what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. we like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.